All right, we have had some um, super uh, important topics we talked about. Haven't exactly been the funnest things to cover. We talked about two weeks ago. We talked about eternity and death. Awesome. But in talking about that, we're talking about hope and life. We're talking about even though in the momentary these these words are heavy for us, we know what it means. What it means is that what awaits us is so much greater than what is present. And we have to wrestle with these things now because if we wrestle with them now, we can begin to live in that hope and that joy now. And that's why we choose to wrestle. Not to find fear or to scare ourselves, but to find the hope and the power that's in Jesus. And so two weeks ago we talked about that. We, we talked about how we have to have an understanding of eternity to fully begin to grip the Scriptures. Because if we're not looking at eternity, then it's easy for us to get caught up in the now, to get caught up in our jobs, in the bills, in just the momentary, the Razorback game going on next week, about this, you know, this boat I want to get, this trip I want to take. It's so easy to get locked into the present. But when we allow ourselves just to glimpse eternity enough, just to kind of get a shake in a little bit, it begins to, to till the ground of our hearts. And it prepares us to accept a word that forces us to change. And so we almost have to let eternity kind of shake us a little bit. And then we're open and we're ready to receive the hope in the word. After we've laid the foundation, after we understand that there is a world to come, that what we have here is only temporary. And what we are to live for is what is to come. Once we get that seated inside of us, then everything else that Jesus says has so much more meaning to us. So last week we talked about what is the world to come and, you know, how can we understand it in the now? And what we learned is that the kingdom of God is the closest thing that we can ever come to experience what that world will be like. So in essence, we have the ability to experience the kingdom now. What that means is the kingdom of God, simply put, is it is where he is in control. The kingdom is anywhere where the king is in control. And we understand from Genesis that his plan the whole time was to create us and to create a place and to give us dominion over that place, control. And so in essence, he was going to give us delegated authority to rule in this world. So he does that, and again, he does it to show the value he sees in us. You know, it, it's in essence, it's a partnership with God. And what happens through that is we cede our authority to someone else through sin, right? To Satan. And so then we see the authority of this realm handed over to another. This starts the entire scriptures, the entire reason that what is wrong has to be made right. And so in essence, the kingdom of God is everywhere where God is in control. And where God is in control, His will is reality. What that means is the way He wants things to be is the way that things are. Imagine if you were in control. Have you guys ever seen Bruce Almighty? Yeah, everyone's seen Bruce Almighty. And so, like, the entire thing is about him. He's got the ability to change whatever he wants. So whatever he wants becomes reality. He wants a million dollars, he has a million dollars. He wants a car, he has a car, blah, 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 blah. The kingdom, whatever God wants, is real. That's what is real. That is what is happening wherever he is in control. And so what takes place is, if you have a God who loves you more than any person you've ever experienced loves you, if you have someone who desires the best things for you, then whenever you tap in to where God is in control, 
what He wants for you, His desire for you, His heart for you becomes reality. <laughs> now again, we'll try to bring it all you know, down, whatever. Like I said last week, I have not had a topic that I felt more kind of just was too big for me to handle than the last three weeks, but I've loved it because it's kind of been messing with me. And with this understanding, simply put it to this. Whenever we lean into Jesus, whenever we begin to invest ourselves, to focus on Him, to seek Him, okay, what happens is we begin to step into a place where He is in control over our lives. And when He is in control over our lives, what He wants for us happens for us. Does that make sense? And if you have someone who's in control of, you know, over the things around you and wants good things for you, what do you think is going to happen? Good things. And if you have a question about what, you know, what is the heart of God, we always have this same picture. We have a picture of the Garden of Eden. This was the picture of the way God wanted it to be. There was no pain, there's no sickness, there's no hurt, there's no death. There is life and there is enjoyment and there's nothing but pleasure in enjoying and finding out who He is and in partnering with God. It's a pretty beautiful picture. And then we get the same picture at the end of the book. The book of Revelation. It's a picture of the Garden of Eden restored. The word used for that in Scripture is the new heaven and the new earth. And what that really is a picture of is of the two things combining. It's a picture of, in essence, what was lost. Okay, the realm where God is in control coming down. And when He takes control of this earth, everything that is wrong is made right. Does that make sense? Thank you for that. Come on, guys. <laughs> Clapping for hula skirts. I mean, come on. Goodness gracious. What do I got to do? No. So with that, though, you know, so what happens in the in-between? Okay, you, you know, we know what God's heart was for us. We know what he wanted to have with us. We know that it was all messed up. We know this world is messed up. We know that somewhere inside of us, we, we know every single day, this world is not enough for me. There's something that's just not good enough about this place. And so we're always longing for something better. So we find these temporary solutions, whether it's money or pleasure, whatever it is. These are all distractions to get us through the day because what we want is something more than this world can offer. So what happens in the in-between? And what happens is this. In Jesus, in essence, He has restored divine partnership. What that means is in the garden, He gave us authority. Okay, he gave us authority to bring his will to pass. And in Jesus, we are reconnecting with God to bring the way things should be into a world where things are not right. In Jesus, we partner with God to begin the process of bringing heaven to earth. In Jesus, we partner with God to bring heaven to earth. And it's got two facets to it. The first facet is sacrificial obedience. And this is where we choose to do seemingly mundane things. We choose to feed the hungry. We choose to clothe the naked. We choose to provide shelter. We choose to take care of earthly needs. But that's only one side of this partnership with God. The other side is very much spiritual partnership. And what takes place here is, is that we have to find a way through faith 
to begin to take the realities of the kingdom and make them the realities on earth. And have you guys ever heard the Lord's Prayer before? Yes, we all have. What's the most important part there? The first part says, Thy kingdom come on what? As it is. What's really funny about that was uh, he was praying that because the solution was right in front of him. He was, he, he was, he was in essence, explaining to them what they were to do when he left. Everything that Jesus had done was done in the context of one teaching, which was the kingdom of heaven. And everything he did, he, he used it to teach people what this meant, that the kingdom was near. John the Baptist came saying, the kingdom is near, the kingdom is near. And what he was talking about was Jesus was near. Jesus is the first picture of a human being who is able to be a conduit, a person who stands between earth and heaven. And everywhere Jesus went, heaven invaded earth. What's real over there became real where he was. On earth, pain is real. Death is real. Suffering is real. But everywhere that Jesus went, healing was real. Miracles was real. Life swallowed death. And again, he is the prototype. He's the one who goes before us to show us what we are to do and who we are to be like, and it's him. And again, if you guys remember, his departing words, he goes and tells us, the things that I've done, you will do even greater things. Why is this even important? Because we have the mandate to bring that place here. And this is the context for understanding all this. And again, none of this hits home to us if we are wrapped up in this present world. The more that we get distracted by the everyday of this world, the less we're able to begin to connect to that world. This is the primary strategy of Satan, is to distract us. Distractions, this is the most effective way to get someone to miss out on something. It's just to provide that distraction. When you guys were kids, did you ever have a toy you wanted, and that kid was fighting with you, and you said, hey, look over there. <laughs> and the kid looked, and you just, <laughs> simple, stupid, I know, but think about it. It worked. <laughs> All it is is a slightly more sophisticated version. Hey, look, over there. You don't really want what's going on over here. What you want is over there. What you need is that promotion. What you need is that new house. What you need is those new shoes. I'm not just talking to ladies. Guys like shoes too, okay? okay. Distractions. And so what happens for us is that the struggle is we have to find a way to focus ourselves, our our time, our intentions, our energy into a world that's invisible. And that is the biggest struggle we have. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. I'll wait for them to pull it up. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. That's what it says. So, so do not lose heart, but outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For the light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Step back from your own life for a second. Look at yourself, okay? How much of your time and energy and attention goes to what is temporary? How much of your life is consumed focusing on what is temporary, on this life? 
Yeah, a lot. <laughs> That's the answer for all of us, right? Most of it. Most of our lives go to the temporary. Not even just in a sense of talking about this world. Most of our lives go into this week, to tomorrow, to this moment. Most of our lives are poured into things that are fleeting, that are temporary. If this life is this much of everything that you'll ever experience, why in the world would you invest yourself in this much of your life? And it seems so simple to us when we sit back and we look at it, but it's so easy to get bombarded, to get so just entrenched in this life. This is what the struggle of faith is. Faith is the exercise of taking our focus and attention and functioning as if the kingdom of heaven is more real than what we see, feel, and touch. Did you get that? Faith is living as if the kingdom of heaven is more real than what you can see, feel, and touch. And that's why it's so difficult for us. This is a struggle, and it should be a struggle. That's why, that's why we need faith. That's why we're not all, you know, walking around signs and wonders and all that kind of stuff. Now, let's get back to some scriptures about that. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians 3, verse 8. Ephesians 3, verse 8. We're going to read a little bit here, but stay with me. It's going to explain a lot for us. Ephesians 3, verse 8. The context here, we have the Apostle Paul, he's, he's, he's been in some arguments with some other apostles, and in the context of his kind of defending his ministry, he's kind of throwing out some really deep stuff, um, trying to blow their mind a little bit, which he does. Here we go. And uh, he, he's speaking about the grace that was given to him. So he says, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Now again, who are you? We are Gentiles, right? Okay, that is us. So he was sent to preach to us the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Let's pause there for one second. I understand I just unloaded a truckload of stuff on you, okay? I understand that. Next week, we're going to talk about all of this. We're going to break down what the kingdoms are, what the, you know, the, the authorities and powers are. In essence, we're going to talk about who we are fighting with to bring the kingdom down. Because understand this, there is opposition. There is a force that is at work to keep you locked into this world. Have you ever seen The Matrix? Anybody? I mean, it's an old movie now, which makes me feel a little, okay. Yes, okay. Pastor Larry, and I'll, I will have to kind of, sorry. He used The Matrix to teach me about the kingdom of God. I was very young. I shouldn't have been in that theater at all, okay? So I will tell on him a little bit, okay? But I never had a picture that made it more clear to me. You know, sitting there next to my dad, you know, and we're watching this, this whole thing, and Here's Morpheus, he's got the red pill and the blue pill. You know, and it, it, it's almost just dare. Do you really want to know how things really are? Or do you just want to go back to, you know, to the way things were? Everything's hunky-dory, you go through your life. But if you take the red pill, your life will forever be torn upside down. And what he finds when he takes that pill 
is that everything he knew was a lie. And that everything that was real was actually kind of scary. But (laughs) his reality, okay. I think I got lost there, okay. His reality is not as good as our reality. (laughs) You are not being used by robots as batteries, okay? So when you take the pill, you find out some good stuff, okay? It's not like, oh no, we're, you know. Yeah, if that was a reality, you might want to take the blue pill. Anyways, okay. The whole point is this. You find out that everything that you did know is fake. It's fleeting. It's temporary. It's a lie. And that you have all of these, you know, millions of people are plugged into this lie. And they're so plugged in that they are oblivious to what's going on around them. There is a war being waged to free them that they don't even know exists. They are lost in their own lie. Welcome to our life. And the question for us is this. Are we willing to take the red pill? Are we willing to really open up the Scriptures and really look at them and allow it to mess with us? This world is fleeting. This world will die and pass away and there is something coming that you cannot control. Can you wrestle with that? If you can, you will find a life that you've never known you will find hope that you cannot even understand yet, and you will find purpose and joy that will overwhelm any fear you might have. But you're going to have to wrestle to get there. And so most of us choose to take the blue pill. Most of us choose just to just, just get enough to where we feel like things are cool with God, and we just try to ignore anything else that messes up our bubble. Just, it, just, just don't mess with me. And again, Everything Jesus spoke on was in one context, the kingdom of God. And everything he spoke of was not of this kingdom that's 100 miles away. It's of the kingdom that's in the heavens. And of course, the Old Testament understanding of heavens was literally in the air around us. He wasn't saying that the kingdom of heaven is way over there and someday it's going to travel and reach us. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is all around you. God is near to you. And it's your choice if you want to let Him who's right next to you invade you. It's your choice. I'm sorry. I tried to do a really uplifting. Everyone's like, what is going on, Dev? It's supposed to be hula day. I'm so, I promise it gets better. Stay with me. I promise it's a really joyful thing. It is, because here's what happens, okay? When you really do embrace it, when you, when you endure through the shaking, when you allow the Word to shake you up a little bit, when you get past that, you begin to find everything you've been searching for. It's that simple. The fulfillment, the purpose, the passion, the hope, the joy that you've been missing, that you've been looking to find in other things, you find what you've been looking for. Think about this for a second. Who have you known in your life that had such a real relationship with God that it just almost unsettled you a little bit. Think about them. Have you ever met someone that just kind of behaved in such a way that they had such a real relationship with God that it just kind of made you uneasy to be around them? Because again, to be around them made you think, ooh, (laughs) so that's the way it's supposed to be? Just (laughs) don't mess up my life, man. There's a guy um, from Algeria. You know, I used to think that I was really spiritual. The first day I picked him up, 
he sat in the car, and it was like I wasn't even there. I mean, it was like he was having a conversation with someone. And at first I thought, okay, this guy's either crazy. I mean, honestly, this guy's either just completely lost it or he's got something. But the more that I was around him, all of a sudden I started to see, you know, this guy has a purpose. There's a clarity in his life. There's a peace to him. He, you know, he's, he's not bothered about things. He's not shaken by things. There's such a confidence. There's such a, just a love. The way he treats me is different than the way that anyone else treats me. And then, you know, when God began to use him in my life, this guy's able to, you know, to speak into my life, to see things about me that no one else sees, and it starts to click. This guy's got something that I don't have. And just with him, I have the choice. Either I'm going to run away from this guy, not ever see him again, or I'm going to get closer and learn what he's got. And that is what this is. And when you look at Jesus, the reason that Jesus was crucified had nothing to do with the fact that, you know, he was doing miracles and signs and wonders. He was crucified because he came to say, everything you think you know about God is wrong. This is what's real. And they couldn't handle it. They were unwilling to let what what was comfortable be messed up. And we're still faced with the same thing this morning. Are we well, you know, to let them get in there and mess with things? Um, whenever I was teaching this last week, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was kind of speaking to me through it. And this week, I just, uh, one of the things I got during the week whenever I was praying was I felt like the Lord was kind of nudging me and He was saying, you know, to go back to what I know. And to me, what that meant was, with every stop I've had with God, as far as, you know, the things I've done, whether... He was in youth ministry or just other things. I always started them off by, by taking months at a time to go every morning, spend an hour in prayer. It's not sophisticated, it's not fancy, but that's how I would start anything new in my life. I would go to the physical place, spend an hour in prayer in the morning, and something would happen there. So I, so I started doing it this week, and I'll tell you what, I don't want to do it anymore. It messes with you. When you start spending time with God, it just messes with you. He starts to like give you ideas. He starts to give you desires. And you're like, no, because that's scary. It's not comfortable. I have to make changes in my life. I'll tell you right now, this week I'm going to have some conversations with people that I'm terrified to have, but I'm supposed to have them. Because in prayer, the Lord put some huge things in my heart to do that are just way bigger than anything that I believe is possible. But I'm, yeah, <laughs> do it. But I'm wrestling with it, okay, to get myself to where I'm ready to you know, try. Okay, Nikki, I'm just going to call you next time. Nikki, would you do it? Where was I? I don't even know. Okay, back to Ephesians 3. Skip on down to verse 16. This is going to kind of focus more on this morning. Um, the rest of those verses are super important to understand kind of the whole scheme of the kingdom, but we're going to talk about them next week. Verse 16. So I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. First of all, to stop there. How many of you have even stopped to think about some kind of relationship with God to where he's putting power in your inner being? What in the world does that even mean, right? You're like, what? This is, this is craziness. 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When you think about faith, I don't want you guys to picture, faith is not stirring yourself up so that you can kind of like, you know, become super spiritual and kind of like connect to like this invisible world. 
Faith is this. Faith is spending time with God and His Word to where God begins to get in you. He says, I, he says, I, I pray that God's power would be in your spirit so that Christ may get inside you, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. These are people who have received the Gospel. They're supposed to be saved, right? Yeah. So there's supposed to be some you know, portion of God in them. He's not just talking about that. He's saying, I pray that you would have so much more of God that Christ Himself would begin to dwell in you. Faith is when God gets inside of you it begins to move you. The Word says that it is God who works in you both to will and to what? To do. It's not that you work yourself up to where you're super spiritual. It's that you begin to get with Him with no distractions and He begins to get in you. And when He gets to get in you, all of a sudden you start getting a little crazy. <laughs> Things that are not possible to you start looking possible. Things that would, used to scare you don't scare you anymore. Situations that you would never put yourself in before all of a sudden, you find yourself running into. The life that you used to run after, you are now running from for something different. There are a few people that I know who have done huge things for God and haven't just looked a little bit crazy from the outside. Just being honest with you guys. I mean, when you talk to them, they're great. They're, you know, sound and, you know, real. And all that but, like, when you look at their decisions, so you decide to do what based on what? doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's no problem. When God begins to get in you, you begin to get his perspective. You begin to get his heart. We talk about these things about having the mind of Christ. We talk about having the, you know, the, the, that his heart would become our heart. How do you think this happens? Do you think you read verses over and over enough to where you start to change how you think? It's not just this mental practice. You begin to remove yourself from this world, you begin to invest yourself, you begin to put your time, your energy, your thought, your emotions into pursuing God, and then He begins to get into you. And then when you look at everything else that you've seen for your entire life, you see it through different eyes. You understand things with a different perspective, and you begin to have passions and desires and feel for people a new way that you've never had before. God gets in you. This is the operation of faith. It's not stirring yourself up. It's finding a place to get enough of God to where He begins to stir things that push you beyond your comfort zone. Without the Word of God and without the, His Spirit, you will never move beyond your comfort zone. Ever. But let me tell you this right now. If you are not doing something for God that scares you a little bit, you are not living in faith right now. We have to have faith because it scares us. We have to have faith because it requires God to do it. If you're not having an area, and again, I'm not saying it has to be, you know, in all of your life. And I'm not saying that you're, you're scared. I'm saying that you should always be in a place in some part of your life with your finances, with your marriage, with your, you know, your, your life choices uh, at, at work, whatever. You should always be in a place to where you are having to make a step to trust God that scares you a little bit. Because if it doesn't scare you, it probably means that you believe you can do it on your own. I don't mean to fold too much into itself, but you need to understand this. When Jesus talks about salvation, He never talked about a momentary experience. 
It was a continual relationship with Him. It's in Him. It's with Him. He is the door. He is the gate. He is the way. It's continual walking with Jesus. And to have this relationship with Him is continual. It is continually trusting God and following Him. He always used a D word when He talked about salvation. What's the D word? Disciple. <laughs> Did you guys hear that? Damnation! That's the D word, Devin. Matthew, I'm going to have to bring you on stage from now on, man. What was that one last week that he said? Do you guys remember what that was? Oh, forget it. Huh? <laughs> you're next. We're talking about why do you don't scare you? He goes, you're next. That's why. Okay. You just throw me off every week. I'm completely lost. I have no idea what I was talking about. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, the D word is not damnation. <laughs> the D word he talks about when he's talking about salvation in the kingdom is disciple. <laughs> to receive Jesus is to receive his yoke, which again, the understanding of the yoke at that time was a teaching. It was an understanding of life and scriptures. Okay? When they, whenever they would follow a rabbi, they would take their yoke. They would take their understanding of the scriptures, and they would begin to follow. To be a disciple was to, in essence, to emulate, to follow that person so closely that you're going to become them. And so salvation was always done in the context of discipleship, meaning to be saved is to follow Jesus. Not to say a prayer to Jesus. It is to follow Jesus. It's not about stirring fear, okay? It's not going to say that God's going to, you know, cut you loose because you haven't been following Him. It's to say this is His heart for you. To have everything He wants for you, it requires continual pursuit and obedience of Jesus, which requires what? Faith. If you're not being stretched in your faith, you're probably not following I mean, we can go home, man. Happy times, right? All right. Now let's get to the good stuff. All right. Uh, verse 18. Everyone's like, man, that good stuff's been getting farther and farther away. All right. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the good stuff. You need to have God in you to begin to change your heart and your understanding, first of all, of God, and secondly, of yourself. If you're taking notes, put that down. You need to get away with God because you need Him to get in you to begin to change the way you see God and the way you see yourself. He says, He's praying all this so that He's praying all this that you would have power to understand. How wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. Faith is directly rooted in your understanding of who God is and your understanding of yourself. Oh, goodness. I'm trying to find a way to make this pop. All right, let's go back to my notes real quick. Here we go. First of all, understand this. Faith is rooted in, in your understanding of who God is. Our faith must be rooted in understanding His love for us because who can trust someone whose heart and intention for us is unsure? If you don't know how someone feels about you, and if you don't know their intentions for you, can you trust that person? Be honest, people say no, no, not at all. If you think back to the people in your life, not back, but think now. Who do you really trust the most? The answer is simple. The people you trust the most are the ones that you know how they feel about you, okay? and the ones that you know want good for you. 
Those are the people you trust the most. The reason most of us have no faith or have little faith is because we don't know how God feels about us and we don't know God's plan for us. If you're taking notes, that's the kicker right there. Faith has to be rooted in knowing that He loves you and knowing that He wants good things for you. If you look at eternity without that knowledge, it is nothing but fear. When you begin to look at a life coming after where the person in control of everything loves you more than anyone you know and only wants good things for you, I can breathe a little bit. Think about it, okay? Just let it kind of marinate a little bit. When I know that He loves me and I know that He has good plans for me, I can begin to trust Him a little bit. If I don't know how He feels about me, if I'm not sure what His plans are for my life, it's going to be near impossible to trust that person. Faith is rooted in our picture of who God is. If you're not operating in faith, it's probably because, again, there's a lot about God that you're not sure about. And what that means is that you've got to figure it out. (laughs) You'll never fix something that you're not willing to fully embrace. If you've got to fix your vision of God, if you've got insecurities, if you're afraid of who God is or the things Him I want to do with you, you need to embrace it and start there. Start to pursue Him in the Scriptures. Find people who do trust God. Why do you trust this guy? Figure it out. Wrestle with it. Don't just ignore it. Faith is rooted in understanding His love for us. If you go back to that verse we were in, so that the holy people may have the power to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And here's why. We have to know that He loves me because if I know that He loves me, it's power, by the way, okay? And if I know that He loves me, this is the route, this is the path to being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To have everything God wants for you starts in one vein. To know that He loves you. Whoever's clapping, amen to you, man. I thank, thank the Lord for you. He is. And, you know, again, it's, it has to go deeper. It has to go deeper. It can't just be a song you've heard. It can't just be a verse you've read. It has to go deeper. You've got to, to lean in. How did you ever get to know anyone's intentions for you? You spent time with them. You asked them questions. You, you listened to them. You pursued them. Or they pursued you or both. The people that you trust the most, again, you found a way to find out how they feel about you and their plans for you. And with the most important relationship in your entire life, if this world is going to fade away and be gone, okay, instantly, if there is this entire world coming that we're not fully sure what it is, shouldn't we at least put a little bit of time into figuring out who this person is who controls it? Just maybe. And again, we are all guilty of this. You know, here I am supposed to be a pastor, you know, that first question I asked you, how much of my day goes into the temporary? And, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> so that's all of us, okay? But this is something that we have to let shake us enough to where we just run from everything else and have to settle this. Is he real? Does he love me? Is he near to me? And does he want to get involved? Amen. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Here we go. Here's the second thing, okay? Once we know that God loves us, the second thing we have to understand is our identity, meaning who are we to Him? 
And what happens in this is that when you begin to find out who you are, there are two primary things that we learn about our relationship to God. The first one, we learn sonship. We learn that one of the primary ways that God sees us and that He wants us to interact with Him is as a child to their father. I'm not sure what your relationship was with your earthly father, but let me just say this. In Scriptures, it, it, it was, it's very consistent that the entire point being made here is that He is a good father. And if you didn't have a good father, I hope that you've seen one. And if you've seen one, try to put yourself in, in those shoes. A good father wants the best for their children. It's very simple. And the reason that those of us who, who have trusted our parents, our fathers, is because we knew that they cared about us and they wanted the best for us. And because of that, we were able to trust them. And when you, when you receive this understanding of how he sees us, he sees us as his literal children, the people that, that he wants the best for, it begins to take off all that worry and that doubt. The second thing is, we begin to see our understanding with him as kings and priests. I wish I had all the time to open up all the verses. I don't have it this morning. But understand this. Understanding your role as a king and a priest is where you begin to get confidence and authority. When you begin to understand why you have the right to even believe that you're involved in this huge grand thing of bringing heaven to earth, when you begin to understand that you are being chosen to bring the riches, the goodness, the right reality of heaven to earth, there's confidence there. It begins to transform the way you see things. Um, I don't even know how to explain this. My son, when he walks in here, he's my son. But if you see him, he will act as if he owns this church. He will walk into every room. I mean, he doesn't care who's there. My daddy's a pastor. I mean, really, that's how he acts. I mean, you know, he's been into every room, I, you know, and sometimes I have to kind of get after him. You know, he'll walk in the room and start telling people what to do. Hey, you need to, I'm like, no, not yet, son. But because of his relationship to me, because he knows my role here in, in, in this family, in this church, he automatically begins to understand, hey, he's my dad, see, I can... That's how it works. When you begin to understand your relationship with the Father, you begin to get this kind of a, yeah, see, yeah, I could do this thing, you know. Anyways, all right. You get the point. He's hilarious. I have to bring him up here some morning. All sorts of things that we didn't get to. Um, next week, we really are going to dive into understanding how does this really, you know, all these ideas, how does this really kind of hit reality for us every day? Like on Monday, how does this really get applied for us? And we'll focus more on that, but here's the thing for today. Understand this. First of all, we need to ask ourselves, are we living by faith? We know the Word says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Are we living by faith? Are we living in a way to where we are trusting God in our lives that make us uncomfortable? Are we taking steps in our lives that are beyond our comfort zone? Are we doing things to trust Him and to be used by Him that if He doesn't come through for us, we are in trouble? And if not, why? And I guarantee you, if not, you, you'll come to the same place. It's either you don't know anything about God, or secondly, you have the wrong understandings of God. Nisa, if you want to come on up. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll kind of close this way. 
We have to get serious and kind of get ugh, with it because if we wrestle this thing to the ground, on the other side of it is everything that we've been looking for. He says, I pray that you would have the power just to grasp, meaning it's difficult to do this. You know, that, that you would have the power to overcome all of your fears, all of your pains, all of the distractions of, of the enemy, that you would grip and know his love for you, because if you grip his love, you will begin to step into all of the fullness of God for you, everything he wants for you. But it's only on the other side of the wrestling. We're going to start this one. Father, I just...